Welcome to the Riot Podcast, where we have practical discussions on how to share your faith, see the news from God's eyes, and answer some of faith's hardest questions. Welcome to the Riot Podcast. This is Bob Shoneman alongside Mac Daddy Pete Robertson. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Mac Daddy Pete Robertson that has something on his shirt. <laughs> I'm going to pick on you. Yeah, you do. It's okay. Well, it's I have. Okay. To, I, we were we were out of bibs. You was, know, it's Taco Tuesday. And we yeah, were out of bibs, so yeah, um, you was, know, you got to expect that to happen. I was eating tacos and I got a little of the cheese on me. <laughs> That's just what happens. Is it guacamole or no, is it it's, queso? It's the white queso. <laughs> Uh, so those of you that are just listening to the podcast, you're missing out. As always, go to our YouTube channel. Watch yeah. the watch the Riot podcast hey, at least one time. Watch it on YouTube. We need a little help with YouTube, so let's just let's just call it what it is. So YouTube probably will probably. Ban oh, here we go. Now we're banned forever. But here's what we're thinking. So we're thinking about switching. We we're on Rumble. We're on YouTube. We're on all the podcasts, and we're also we're thinking about going into Twitter. So Twitter Space now Twitter Blue is allowing for full videos. And so we're thinking about, okay, well, maybe we start marketing ourselves on Twitter as well. And we know that on Twitter, we're not going to be flagged. So some of our shows, everybody that's listening, Facebook or YouTube, they will flag us and they won't push our, our show. They won't allow it to be seen or they won't allow us to boost it or whatever it is. They just, because of the content of our show, they immediately say that we're hate. And we know that that's not true because everything about the show is talking about love. So here's my point. Go to YouTube and watch it because they have censored us like crazy. Our algorithms are being censored. Um, it's like our subscribers are not even seeing it. Um, and there's just a lot of weird stuff happening on YouTube. We've Our numbers have dropped over the last couple of months. Um, Could and, it be Satan? Yeah, I just, I know, I know it's something to do with that. So anyway, so anyway, that's, that's my YouTube beef. I, you know, we do not battle flesh and blood, Pete, but I am grateful for YouTube. I'm grateful for the platforms. You know, I'm glad that Apple and, and Google haven't, you know, banned our show. Amen. So, I mean, that's cool. It's just Facebook and Twitter. I mean, and YouTube have definitely centered us. Which YouTube is Google. So it is, it is it's owned by Google. Yeah. So, so Twitter might be our, our next did you know, move. Did you know YouTube is the second biggest search engine? It is. When, when people go to oh, search something, searching, YouTube, yeah. yeah. Google's number one, YouTube's yeah. number two. Yeah, we're on Rumble, and I hardly ever go look at Rumble. I should probably see how many people this on Rumble. <laughs> I don't even know what Rumble is, yeah. so you're, you're ahead of me. At least yeah. you know what it is. Yeah, it's Rumble. What, does this cost anything? Let's get ready to Rumble. I don't know. It's uh, No, it doesn't. Oh, so just, it's like YouTube. It's the same thing. We're just trying thing. to tie money into it somehow. Oh, money. Do you want to talk about money? money, money, money. <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about money. Um, have, have you ever made a million dollars close to it in sales? You've made a million dollars in commissions. No, yeah. in sales. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Like 50 do, million, right. Or something like that. Um, probably more than that. Wow. I do about 10, 12 million a year in sales. That's incredible. That's a lot of money. God is good. Yeah, that is yeah. all. It's like, it's my bowling, my bowling peeps and my, my church peeps. And and people that uh, I've worked with in the past, sending me, um, and trusting me with their family, it's almost all referrals. So so based off of that, you've been you've been poor too, right? Yeah, I, mean, I remember right after college, when I we we moved to Orlando, she lost her job right after September 11th. Um, shut down. Um, yeah, 
we were uh, eating macaroni and cheese and literally i mean had like you know a hundred dollars in the bank it was absolutely dead broke i've been dead broke and uh you've had a lot of in good, the last good cash couple flow. years have been a lot better so yeah and i and so i think i guess what i'm getting at because i've been in the same boat so i've christine and i have been so poor that our electricity has been turned off. We've, we, our phones have been turned off. We've lost our car insurance. Um, we've been uh, kicked out of a house because we couldn't pay the rent. Oh. Um, we were homeless for nine months where we literally had nowhere to live. Um, and so we were pretty poor. And then um, and we didn't understand. We were serving the Lord and just like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? You know, that was, but I think God really wanted us to understand what it meant to really trust him and in money with money and understand that. And then we've also abused money where we have made, you know, millions at one point and we did have homes and all kinds of luxuries and so forth. And, um, I learned what not to do with money. And, and I learned a lot of like, you know, you know, all those stories about say, when you have a lot of money and it's, it's not the greatest thing or fulfilling or whatever. It's true. Um, and, um, and I spent money foolishly. And so I can understand that. So I think that's such a good point. I, I've heard it said that the, the difference between a rich person and a poor person is that a rich person knows that you can't buy happiness. You know, there's that, there's that misconception that money will make you happy. It and sounds like you've been on both ends. I mean, extremes on the, both extremes yeah. where, yeah. And I would say now where we're at is in the middle, you know, it's, um, how was your upbringing? Were you a you know, middle class or poor? lower in, lower yeah. in middle class? Me too. Yeah. yeah very my, Neither one of my yeah. parents had a college degree. Nope. It was just yep. living check, paycheck by paycheck, yep. but never starved. I mean, they had, you know, they always were able to put food on the table, yep. but we, we didn't live in the nicer homes. We lived no. in the lower class homes, lower class neighborhood. Um, but yeah, never struggled, never had any issues, never ever thought about it. Never and as a kid, you don't know. We, you don't know any different. Nope. It's, that's your life. No, nope. yeah. but, but I mean, but ultimately, and we're going to talk about money today. So we're going to say, what's the Bible like, say why about are you money? guys talking about money? Well, that's why. So everybody knows, but ultimately what, what I have learned is there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. I need money to live in this world economy. There's, it is what it is. You need to have money to live. And so the survival of the fittest or the mindset with people is, okay, what do I do to make sure that I'm living, right? Because we're always thinking ahead. I got to pay my bills. I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my mortgage. I got to pay my car. I got to eat. I got to, whatever it is. Or, you know, there's some people out there that are saying, okay, well, how do I live off the government? Or how do I, you know, steal money, so to speak, or, you know, I mean, I'm talking to use the system. Yeah, yeah. Use the system. And, 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 you know, I, I believe if you can work, the Bible is very clear that we need to work. And if you can work, the Bible is very clear that not only do we need to work, but we need to be the best workers. We need to be the hardest workers and we need to be the workers that um, exceed. And I always think of Daniel, remember Daniel. So here's Daniel calling into captivity and Nebuchadnezzar is looking at him and he's probably one of the hardest working people and he's wise and he's doing things not to please Nebuchadnezzar. We know that because when they told him that he couldn't pray, he ended up praying anyways. His whole heart was to please God. But because he was pleasing God, he ended up being the very best worker. The same thing went with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they all had a reputation 
that was above reproach. So back to working and God will supply all of your needs. God will take care of you financially. I'm sure of that, but we as workers should not be the complainers. We should not be focusing on all the negative that's happening in the workplace because there is a lot and we're in a fallen world and there's no workplace. There's no business. There's nothing out there that is good. It's not, it is hard work. It is ugly. It's messy. And it's, and you have millions of things that you complain about, but what if don't be a victim, right? What if you can focus in on what is good? What if you can speak, uh, go to work or be a part of workplace and speak life into people. What if you were, you were an agent of the most high God and that you went not to make a paycheck, but you went to be a blessing. What if you focused in on what's good? You talk about life. this all the time. It's yeah. like our, our jobs, what we do. I mean, that's our, our job is to just live for the glory of God yeah. and getting paid in, in our job is just a byproduct of that we don't we don't go to work for money we go to work because it's our mission yeah and and i and i live mission-minded we like to say that all the time all the time it's like you know i we need to talk about money we haven't we haven't done a show just on money we you know what's the bible say about money we haven't done a show just on money so until today yeah so i i we need to do this because it is very important for for our life i mean it is what it is and um and i think that if we can get this balanced um, properly and understand it from the context of what the Bible says, I think this will really help our lives um, to be fruitful and multiply. And, uh, and that's ultimately what our goal and our, our, we're supposed to be doing is to be fruitful and multiply. Not, you know, yes, in kids, but we're talking about multiply to disciples and to speak life. And if we're in balance somewhere, it's going to be in balance in other places spiritually. This is a big one. So let's get going and open up in prayer. And yeah, have at it. All right, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we uh, we just give you this show now. We thank you for the wisdom that uh, you have put in this in this book, the Bible, Lord, that you've given to us, Lord. We just ask that uh, as we dive into this topic of money, that uh, you would help us just be more prudent, be more uh, wise about how we spend our money, how we earn our money, and really, Lord, just our focus on money. Um, you know, we can't worship it, Lord, and and I think so many times that we fall into that trap. So. Just help us today. Help us understand the, how you want us to see it. And Lord, we just give you the show. Give us our, our listeners. Thank you for them. Pray that you use the show in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, I heard a, I heard a message this weekend where it, it said that uh, money money makes a, fine, uh, makes a fine servant, but a terrible master. Amen. So um, that's kind of where we're going to go today, I think. So the title of our show today is called, What's the Bible Say About Money? What? What? Yeah, that's what we're gonna talk about. Oh, what does now, who's the Bible on, who, what's say on about, first? Who's that? What? Who's, no, who's on, on first? I don't, I don't know. Every week, executive producer, a squirrel runs through yeah. the audience. Ab Ab the audience. What is that? Ab the, Abbott and Costello, right? The studio. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. Yeah, Abbott and Costello. Who's yeah. on first? Yeah, no, he's on second. Wait. No, what's on second? What? I, there you go again. Sorry, let's go. All right, the Bible has a lot to say about money, which isn't terribly surprising, given how important money is within human society. Some of the things the Bible says about money are quite well known, while other aspects of its teaching remain relatively obscure. Yep. We know that every one of us needs some kind of money for survival in order to eat comfortably, sleep uh, comfortably, to stay <laughs> healthy. Uh, you need some form of currency. Truth. So needing money is not wrong. The problem with our society is that we put our trust 
more in money than we do in God supplying for all of our needs, all of our needs. Sorry. First Timothy 6.10 states, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Yeah, we're going to get into that verse a little bit further down the show, but that's a big, big verse. Yeah. All right. So today we're going to talk about three areas of money. First is how to manage our finances. Secondly, should be uh, should Christians go into debt? And then lastly, we will talk about should Christians save? That's so let's good. start with finances. Well, let me do this real quick. Hold on. So I'm going to read, I wrote a story. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, want to I almost it. forgot your story. Yeah. I wrote a story and, and I have been having fun with stories lately. It's are you going to, are you going to read it in your Shakespearean yeah, I read, style? I wrote it like a Shakespeare. So <laughs> I had some fun with it. So let me read it because I think it gives us context. You know, it's a story, but I think it gives us context of, you know, it, this is in a land called Saintsville. So let's read it. Okay, here we go. So once upon a time in a small hamlet named Saintsville, a man bestowed with affluence named Joseph recited. Joseph held massive wealth, but his heart was filled with sorrow and confusion, struggling to comprehend the true substance of wealth. His worldly success seemed hollow and unfulfilling, and Joseph yearned for spiritual understanding. One day, Joseph met Pastor Luke, a humble preacher renowned for his wisdom and profound knowledge of the Holy Bible. Pastor Luke shared the good news of the gospel with Joseph's starting a fascinating journey of understanding the Christian perspective on money. Pastor Luke started uh, started Joseph's lesson by referring to 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people are eager for money, have wandered from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. It was explained that the verse did not condemn money or wealth itself, but cautioned against the love of it, which can lead people astray from their faith. Joseph, willing to learn and grow in his understanding, sat with Luke and delved deeper into the scriptures. They visited Matthew 6, 24, and no one can serve two masters either. You will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This verse deeply moved Joseph. His dual pursuit of financial success and his newfound spiritual quest felt at odds. Wisely using money and resources God has given you, is an essential part of being a follower of Christ, Luke, Pastor Luke said, referring to Luke 16, 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? However, the Bible wasn't condemning wealth or its acquisition. In fact, Luke referred to Proverbs 10, 22, which says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. Pastor explained that this is outlined divine favor seeking good things in life in accordance with God's blessing. Luke continued with the message of Acts 20:35, highlighting the emphasis Christianity places on generosity. And everything I did, I showed you that this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Pastor Luke showed Joseph the wealth itself isn't evil. It's all about the attitude and the approach towards it. As a children of God, Christians are called to exercise wise stewardship over their finances, to use wealth for good and not to become slaves to it. Joseph found solace and clarity in this new understanding. The teachings of the Bible on money resonated in his mind and his heart. He realized he was entrusted with wealth to bless others. Joseph transformed his life to serve God and his fellow beings, using his wealth to further the kingdom of God, and he found the fulfillment 
that he's always desired. By the lights of scriptural teachings, Joseph's story illustrates the Christian perspective on money. Money in itself is not evil. It is the love and the worship of it above God that can lead people astray. The crux is having a healthy relationship with money and prioritizing God above all earthly treasures. Christian wealth, whether small or great, is seen as a tool to glorify God, support the work of the church, and to aid those in need, highlighting the importance of generosity and stewardship. There's my story. We hope you've enjoyed this story on Audible. <laughs> Read by the author today. That was pretty cool, Pete. Yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah. I have. Some I felt stories. like I was listening to an audio book. I like funny? it. Yeah, I love it. All right. Very, anyway. What'd you title that? Um, I didn't, I didn't, oh, I said story about money. <laughs> All right. Let's start out by uh, uh, with managing our finances. In order for us to manage our finances correctly, we must first have proper balance in our lives. The first area of balance we need is to not be yeah. lazy. Hey, isn't that one of the seven deadly sins? We kind of talked to this at, this at the beginning. I mean, we really need to understand this concept. Proverbs 6, 6, uh, <laughs> verses 6 through 11 says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Yes, that's talking about a little ant, okay? A little so, ant. Yeah, it's not your the little red ant or yeah, yeah A N T. <laughs> you know, the little guys that yeah. you know when you were a kid you took out a magnifying yes, glass. Yeah, one. those ants. Yeah, the Bible talks about this. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food at harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. That's Proverbs. That's yep. Solomon. He was smart. Yes, he was. So based off this verse, we can't manage we our finances if we have laziness in our lives, which will lead to financial ruin. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, think about that makes it. Makes sense, though. So I, the reason why we're even starting it off with this is because how could we talk about money if you don't have any money, right? So if you're sitting there and you're not working hard or you, you know, maybe you are working hard and you have a little, so this is not talking to you. This is talking to people that are, you probably could be doing more. Okay. So you're probably working part-time or you're not perking out, or maybe you're living with mom or dad, or maybe there's, maybe there's something in your life where you're not as dedicated as you should. So the Bible is very clear that we should not be lazy. So we can't talk about money if we don't first address this issue, right? So if we're going to talk about money, we're going to say that, does God want us to have money? Yes, he wants us to have money. He wants us to work hard. He wants us to be able to buy and purchase things. The Bible's never saying otherwise, right? And so it, the, whatever you're doing, evaluate your life right now and ask yourself, am I a hard worker? Am I diligent? What's and, your worth ethic? Like? Yeah. It's, and are you doing it to glorify God? Or are you do, are you a complainer? I mean, there's a reason why you're not doing this because you're complaining. You're mad at the world. You hate everybody. So we are told to consider the industrious ant who works to store up food for, her set, for itself. The passage also warns against sleeping when we should be working at something profitable. A sluggard is a lazy, slothful person who would rather rest than work. His end is assured, poverty and want. So as a Christian, we can't expect to have finances and evil and able to manage our finances if we are lazy. So we're just stating facts, righteous invasion of truth. Right. We're just all we're doing is saying, okay, we're going to talk about money. Well, let's just start it off properly. <laughs> That's a good let's, way to start. Let's, let's go. Yeah. Get up and get to work. Yep. 
All right. That's good. All right. Second area of balance is that is the other end of the spectrum, which are those individuals who are, well, we all know these people who are obsessed with gaining money, right? Yep. Such a one that was me at one point. Such a one, according to Ecclesiastes 5:10, never has enough wealth to satisfy him and must be constantly grasping more and more. So there's two ends of the, ends of the spectrum. You've got the slothful, and then you've got the other ones where it's almost it's a it's almost like a religious activity. That was me. Yeah. So a little bit of my story. At one point in my life, I was serving God, going to church, giving tithes, doing mission fits, and all that stuff. But my mind could not stop thinking of how to make the next muck. And that was what controlled me. And that's what it was on my mind. And I would do everything that I can. And so, yeah, I was that person. Consumed you. Oh, it was absolutely consumed. I can fully comprehend this. Um, but rather than desiring to heap riches upon ourselves, the biblical motto is one of giving, not getting. This is what I had to unlearn. I had to unlearn that I needed to trust God with my finances. And one of the things that God taught me was he's the one that provides the manna. He's the one that that is that brings the wealth. He's the one that supplies all of our needs. So my job, my objective was now I need to just worship him, serve him in where I'm working and, and bring him glory, and then trust that he is the one that's going to place. I had to learn contentment. You know, I wanted to be, oh, I want to be rich. I want to do this. No, God says, well, this is where I have you right now. I want you to thrive where you're at. If I want you somewhere else, I will adjust your life accordingly in that moment of time. But as of right now, I want you to thrive where you're at. I want you to be content. I want you to worship me. I will make things known to you. So I was not living the Big Ball motto, and I had to learn that. I had to learn that my life was to be about giving, was to be about serving. So remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, 7. So when I understood that I am to be about using my money so that God was glorified and using it in a way that everything that I bought and purchased or did was so that I was giving of, of God's love and God's truth for those people, whatever that was. And so it was just a whole different mindset. So, all right. Next. Good. The final area that needs to be balanced in our lives is that we are encouraged to be good stewards of what God has given us. We will talk about stewardship more later on, but before we do, let's read Luke 16, verses 1 through 13, and break down the story Jesus told, the parable of the dishonest steward, and a way of warning us against poor stewardship. So again, Luke 16, starting in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, 
Make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If you if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful in which is another's, wait, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Yeah. Wow. So the moral of the story is, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? We are also responsible to provide for our own household. As 1 Timothy 5.8 reminds us, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So if we are seeking money for our own pleasure to satisfy our own lust and our own flesh, it's very clear what the Bible is saying in context here is that God cannot trust you with money so that you can use it for his glory. He can't. You're going to be limited. And we always say, well, I know a lot of people that are evil. They have lots and lots of money and God blesses them. So why does he do that? And I give it to me. Well, God still uses it without us even knowing it for his glory. And he's still taking it even from those people. And there's some way, somehow God is using it for his glory. He's using the money and so forth. Hmm. And I can't answer that. Um, but I do know that when we trust in God with our money and we trust him with it, that God will, God will entrust us with greater responsibility. You know, it's like, I look back in my life, I've been a part of many nonprofits before. And, um, and I know that, you know, sometimes I was a part of different things where I was on a board of certain, because I was, I had esteem or I was a business owner. I had this or whatever that is. But when I, when I really sense that God says, no, I now trust you son with money. I trust on how you're going to handle it is that he would then give me more or things would happen in such a way that I can tell that this wasn't for me. This was for me to distribute it to God's work and God's kingdom. And this is kind of what that verse is talking about, that God wants us to have money as a conduit so that we can then give it for his glory and give it out. So if we look at our bank accounts, the Bible tells us that 10% we should be tithing. But really what the Bible is saying in context is all of your money should be tithed. All of it should be his. So now if we're, if we're paying part of that money is for the house or for the rent or for the mortgage, it's, it's still his because we're doing that and God is providing a house for you so that you can glorify your, for God in that house. He's giving you a dwelling. It's his. He's allowing you to buy that for the car. Same thing. He's, he's given you that money so that you can use it for his glory. He wants you to use that vehicle, not for your own self dwellings. He wants you to use it so God is ultimately glorified. It's everything. It's his money. All of the money is going towards him. It's when we take that money and that we now say, well, how could I buy this? Or how could I fulfill my flesh? Or how could I you know, get ahead or whatever so I can do what I want to do with it? That's where it becomes a sin, and that's where using money is not proper. So, thoughts? Well, yeah, I can kind of give you a little testimony about uh, personally our life. I mean, until until we were faithful givers, um, we were living paycheck to paycheck. And I'm not saying if you start giving, he's going to bless you, and you're, you know, now you're going to have re resources. But I can tell you in my story, 
we we live paycheck to paycheck. We were broke until we started being faithful with our giving. So I, there's definitely there's some truth to that. I yeah. can vouch for it in my own life. All right. So did you do the transition? No. Statement? Okay. No. So according to the Bible, for us to properly manage our money, we must have some things in order. First, we cannot be lazy. Nope. We must be hard workers. Yes. Second, we should never be obsessed with making money. Right. We must trust God first and not the money. Yes. And finally, we need to be good stewards with God's money. Everything should be spent for his glory. So let's move on to our second point. What does the Bible say about debt? Yeah, so that was really good. So we gave context. That's the to have balance. Those three things give us balance. We can't be lazy. We know that. Okay, so that's common sense. We must be hard workers. We can't be obsessed with making money. That should not be what we think about every night when we go to bed. Okay, if that is, you need to repent of that. You need to say, God, forgive me of that. And then the last one is that we need to make sure that we're good stewards. We need to be giving. We need to know that everything is God's. And so everything that we're doing is for his glory. That's yeah. that's the, what the Bible says about money. We have to understand. All right, now going into debt. That's going into debt. Paul's charge to us in Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What a powerful reminder of God's distaste for all forms of debt that are not being paid in a timely manner. As said in Psalms 30, Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Okay, so we're going to kind of give context because a lot of people might be listening to this. Well, I don't know because I there's impossible for me not to have debt. I out of you know, there's just so many different things. We're going to talk about that. We're going to put that at ease. But the bottom line is, I think from this context is we want to be in debt less. Obviously, if you don't need to be in debt, do not be in debt. And we're going to get it, we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. At the same time, the Bible does not explicitly command against all forms of debt. We have to understand the context. The Bible warns against debt and extols the virtue of not going into debt, but it does not forbid debt. The Bible has harsh words of condemnation for leaders who abuse those who are bound to them in debt, but it does not condemn the debtor. Some people question the charging of any interest on loans, but several times in the Bible, we see that a fair interest rate is expected to be received on borrowed money. Proverbs 28.8. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profits gathers it from him who is generous to the poor. And in Matthew 25, 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So obviously the Bible in context is talking about that the interest is part of the borrowing and part of that. And there is no condemning in that. And Jesus is even saying that I should at least have some sort of investment in that. And that's a whole nother sermon of what that context is. But, you know, there we go. So, you know, take it as you may. This is, you know, we, we want to not be in debt, but there are times where, you know, we are in debt. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. We'll talk about that a little bit more. So let's move on. Didn't the Old Testament say something about debts should be forgiven after seven years or yeah, something like that. Yeah. So you should never take out a loan yeah, for more than like seven the, years. That's like something the Jubilee. Yeah, right? <laughs> All right, let's go. All right. In ancient Israel, the law did prohibit charging interest on one category of loans, those made to the poor. See Leviticus 25. The law had many social, financial, and spiritual implications, but two are especially worth mentioning. First, the law, genu the law genuinely helped the poor by not making their situation worse. Okay. It was bad enough that they had fallen into poverty and could and it could also be humiliating to have to ask for assistance. But if in addition to repaying the loan, a poor person uh, had to make crushing interest payments, 
the obligation alone would be more hurtful than helpful. Yeah. So basically, you know, if you, this is basic from a Bible perspective, here's kind of way it looks like. So you uh, want to buy a car and instead of going to the bank and they charge 5.6% or whatever your credit score is or 4.6 or whatever, and you go to a brother and sister in Christ and say, I want, I can make a loan. The brother looks as looks at your wealth, looks at where your ass is. Oh, okay. I can see that that's going to be too much. And he gives it to you for 1% and he gives you the money to cash. And now it's 1% back. So it's a little bit less. So that's kind of the context about during that time. So they were looking at your wealth. You're looking at where you're at and they weren't crushing you with interest payments. So, so regarding the law and the important spiritual lesson for a lender to forego interest on a loan to a poor person would be an act of mercy. He would be losing the use of that money while it was loaned out. Yet that would be a tangible way of expressing gratitude to God for his mercy is not charging his people interest for the grace he has extended to them. Just as God had mercifully brought the Israelites out of Egypt when they were nothing but penniless slaves and had given them a land of their own, Leviticus 25.38, so he expected them to express similar kindness to their own poor citizens. So I think from the body of Christ, that in context is if you have a large means of money, you should be loaning it out to other followers of Christ and look at and measure their wealth and then give them a little less interest payment so that it doesn't crush them and it helps them. And help. so so many legalistic parts and obviously there's a spiritual element in this and there's all of this stuff, but it's very clear that it's not condemning interest as a whole. So should we go into debt? It's not saying it as that you shouldn't, but it is saying that it is best not to, and it's best to look for other ways to help you not be so burdened by it. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Did I make sense at all? Yeah, it did. You said okay. something in there that it, it, helping, giving that loan to the, the poor person is actually an act of mercy. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, as if you can, if you're a rich person, um, maybe that can be a, um, a side business you know, find poor people, help them out and charge a lower interest rate. A ministry. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe the person has bad credit or maybe something else and they're going to be getting 16.7 because of circumstance interest rate. And you're like, Hey, let me give you it to you for 2%. You know, you're still making a little bit of money back and you're still helping them, but more than anything else, you're blessing those people as an act of mercy. And, you know, and again, there's got to be some sort of regulations. They got to be a follower of Christ or something or whatever God put on your heart. But yeah. All right. Good. All right. Christians are in a parallel situation. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus has paid our sin debt to God. Yeah. Now, as we have opportunity, we can help others in need, particularly fellow believers, kind of what Pete was just saying, yeah. with loans that do not escalate their troubles. Do not, you don't want to put them in bondage, right? Jesus even gave a parable along these lines about two creditors and their attitude towards forgiveness. Let's read Matthew 20 or Matthew 18, 23 through 35. This is a parable um, that Jesus is sharing. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me. I will pay you. 
he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I I mean, yeah, I listened to that. And again, um, you know, some of us that are that own homes and are renting it out to people um, or that you've let someone borrowed. I, I, my, here's where I've always been with this. Whenever I've given money to people, um, I never expected anything in return. If they can pay it back, they pay it back. If they don't pay it back, they don't. I, I never wanted to fall into this temptation. I never wanted to be that brutal dick. I never wanted it. And I have at times, there was some times in my life where I would give something to somebody and I would hold their feet to the fire and want it back. But I think as a Christian, I don't think we do that. I think if you're going to give something to somebody as an act of mercy, that don't expect anything back. And if, if by God's grace, you get something back, then praise the Lord. Um, so again, so that's kind of, you know, talking about it, but let's just go into the borrowing money part. So the Bible neither expressively forbids nor condones the borrowing of money. The wisdom of the Bible teaches that it is usually not a good idea to go into debt. Debt essentially makes us a slave to the one who provides the loan. That we know. At the same time, in some situations, going into debt is a necessary evil. As long as money is being handled wisely and the debt payments are manageable, a Christian can take on the burden of a financial debt if it's absolutely necessary. Let's talk about this for a sec, Bob and I. We talked about it a little bit in the prep. If you're using your credit card to fulfill your flesh, that is not a good reason to go into debt. So, it's just common sense, okay? But if you need a car and you need to take out a loan to get a car, there's a reason why you need that car. One, it's, it, it helps you have your job. It helps you with going to church. It helps you with doing ministry things. It helps in a lot of different areas. But we want to be careful about why we're going into debt. And then the same thing goes with a house. You know, you buy a house, it's a lot, most people can't afford a four or $500,000 home. They're going to have to borrow from the bank to get it. So um, we talked about this before. There's a difference. And if you, uh, you know, an asset allocation versus, versus the depreciating um, asset. So uh, there's two different ways of looking at it. If it's, you're buying something that's depreciating, like a car, it depreciates in value. If you can save up money to buy that car in cash, it's best. So that's something you want to do. If, and if you can hold off to buy something instead of going to put it on the credit card and save and be responsible, it's better to do that. Now, I use my credit cards only mostly for gas. I use it for gas, but I pay it off. And I use my credit cards when I'm buying airline tickets or rental cars or hotels or anything like that, right? But I'm not doing it if I don't have the money to do it. That's the key. And so a lot of times we're buying it and, and we're doing it, but we don't have the money to pay it back. And so the bottom line is, if you're going to go into debt, you should have the cash flow to ready to pay that off right away. And, and unfortunately, in our society today, we need to have credit score. And that's the way that our, our, the evil part of the culture is set up. 
that we need to have some sort of credit or some sort of debt um, to be able to show that we're good stewards of it and that we can have hired and, you know, and all that stuff. But all right, speak to that. Thoughts on that? No, you already mentioned something about, you know, the borrower is slave to the lender. So this kind of my philosophy on this and, you know, go to a car. Um, like you said, it depreciates. So if you're, if you go into a car dealership and you're financing a car, a hundred percent of it, and you walk out and something happens, you lose a job, you get sick, you know, who knows? Lots of things can happen. And now, now you're stuck with a payment that you can't make. So kind of my philosophy is um, if you're going to take out a loan, whether it be on a car or a house, some, you know, big purchases like that, make sure you have at least enough money that if I needed to sell that car tomorrow, it's worth more than the yeah. loan that's outstanding. Yeah. You know, if I had to sell my house tomorrow, is it worth more than what I owe on it? So that I'm never stuck in that bondage. That makes sense? Yeah. And that member that took us to the conversation of like insurance. So if you say, for instance, well, I can't afford that. I can't afford 10% or 20% down for my car. What do I do then? Well, then get gap insurance, you know, cover yourself, you know, have, you know, I think it's wise to have uh, life insurance. I think it's wise for us to, to have, we have a lot of different insurances um, for liability purposes and so forth. But um, again, why are we spending the money for that? We're spending the money so that we can glorify God and we put ourselves in a position so that God is glorified. We're, we're, we're setting ourselves up to be responsible. We're setting ourselves up to, to bring him glory in all the things. There's order, there's balance in our life. And so that's why we would recommend doing this. Any thoughts on that? No, I just, I just agree with that. And I, and I, I sell houses for a living. So I see this, I see this a lot. And you know, some people are, um, there's government loans where you can get in for like 3%, you know, but if the market takes a little bit of a turn, now that person's stuck. They're, they're in trouble. They don't right? have gap insurance for houses, do they? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's called PMI. Yeah, PMI. The, the banks they, have insurance. Yeah, they do. But yeah, yeah if the actual do. individual buyer, yeah. I mean, they're kind of, they're kind of stuck. That's why I so much would rather see somebody put 10% or 20% down or, um, you know, if you're in a position somewhere in your life where you can pay cash, that's even, even better. You know, it just, to me, it's just, I, I see people get in over their heads with houses too, where everything they do, they're, they're now they're working for their house. They're like a slave to their house even because just to pay the payment, they've got to work. And that's just, that's, you can't do ministry that way. Yeah. You know, I, I, Christy and I have since 2008 and nine are the way that we do everything in life is lower overhead. And, and, um, we are always conscientious of making sure that we have ample amount of cash flow so that we're available to what God is wanting us to do with it. So you that, may be able to bless somebody. That's exactly you, where you don't at. know what God's going to put. Some, yeah. We don't have a clue. Christina, we're like you. We have no idea where our money is going to come from. I have no idea if I'm ever going to have money every single month. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people work paycheck to paycheck, but I don't work by any paycheck. I have no idea if I'm going to get paid or not. So I'm really, truly surrendered to God and waiting on God to bring the money. But I've also no, learned that it, I am not going to put, I'm not going to test God with this. I'm going to, I'm going to live as low as I possibly can have as lean amount of money as I mean, as payments as I possibly can. And I've, I've restructured a lot of my life, how I hire people, all of my overhead and business wise and everything that we do, it's, it's restructured so that we are not you know, burden by a higher payment. And that goes with house. If you can't afford the house and if it's going to stretch you or you're looking for, you know, you're trying to rent a house or you need to buy a house, whatever, be responsible with that. Yep. I mean, I could have 
bought a bigger house or got him a lot bigger house, but God was like, no, that's not probably right. I could probably buy a lot more expensive car and get some really nice stuff, but God has burdened me with that and said, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to have just balance and what's enough, but I want you to have extra cash flow and extra reason so that it can be used for my glory. That's why I do it. That's why we should live. That's here's here's what i was thinking while you're saying that before you make a big purchase like that make sure you go to god don't just don't just do it on your own because it's just yeah yeah. we're going to get into that i mean that's something that we're going to talk about the end all right absolutely all right so next the next thing is about saving money right yeah bible teaches us saving money is a wise practice for many different reasons god is our source and provided for provider for everything we need and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ, Philippians 4.19. One of the main ways God provides for us is through money, and it is our job to steward that money well. See Matthew 25. Um, That's, you're just thinking? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saving. thinking. I mean, what do you, I mean, you save now. I mean, you have stock. You have yeah, I mean, we have... You know, we have 401k. Crystal has a 401k through her job. You know, you were talking about not getting a paycheck. It's been 12 years now since I've had a paycheck. And there is something about not getting a paycheck, which I think it maybe helps you rely on God more often uh, or more with that situation. Because, you know, you know, when you got a check coming every two weeks or, you know, every month, you know, sometimes it's easy to take that for granted. But when you do what you do and you do what I do, it's, it's like, Okay, Lord, you, you know, you know, my needs, you yeah. know, you know, what's coming up, Yeah, you know, and it, it's amazing. I think we get to see God's hand a lot more in that too. Yeah. We're like, you know, he's just faithful. He always comes through. And I think, well, a lot of people, part of the, one of the things I love about what I do is I get to see God move in so many different ways, not just in my life, but in the lives of uh, my clients. It's amazing. I mean, we do have a little bit of freedom because we can go and come at certain times when we're not accountable to different people. We are accountable to God. So we have to be very mindful of that. Yep. But we also have responsibilities. Where sometimes, but we're not a slave to the, the clock, I think is what you're trying to say. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes we got to work those hours that nobody wants to work. That's right. So <laughs> that's the part people don't see. That's the, that's the reality <laughs> of it. You know, so there's, there's, there's a pro and con there. Um, but, but yeah, but we have the freedom to, to record a podcast on, yeah. a, on a, on a weekday afternoon. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Amen. That is so good. But in the bottom line is talking about savings. Um, you know, I, if, if you can at least save 10% of your income, I, I would highly recommend you to do something, put it away just for emergency purposes. So that goes to not spending the debt. So if, you know, you have a car breakdown and you had that 10% savings in there and it's going to cost you $2,500 to fix whatever that was, now you have it to be able to use That's kind of how I see that in savings. But let's just go into this a little bit more. We're accountable to God for how we use everything he gives us in this life. We know that, including money. Saving money demonstrates good stewardship of the resources that God gives us. Saving money allows us to be prepared for the future, and being prepared for the future is good. As we mentioned earlier in Proverbs 6, 6 through 8, shows us that this principle is lived out even in nature. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and its food at harvest. Planning ahead and saving money makes it easier to accomplish goals and allows us to be more effective in ministry. 1 Corinthians 6, 2, 16, 2 says, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. 
When we don't plan ahead and save money, we are more prone to go into debt, which the Bible tells us is unwise. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rulers over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. So again, our caution to you, our encouragement to you, even if, so one of the things that I do, I was just going to pull up my phone, is I have Acorn. I don't know if anybody have heard Acorn. And so I make sure that I've always rounded up and I'm always given a certain amount of money into Acorn every single month. And, and I have a nest egg there that of just different monies that are being invested, but I'm constantly putting money towards it. And it's just something, even if you did something small like that, at least you're putting some sort of money away. If you can have a savings account, a 401k or something that can actually have, you know, don't touch it unless emergency or unless it's absolutely needed, then that's, I think it's balanced. And I think it's what God would want us to do. Thoughts? No, I was just going to think, just like everything else, there's the, you, you can go to extremes on both sides. You know, like with the first thing we talked about, laziness, and then the, yeah, the other side were the obsessive, right? Don't be that. The same thing here. Yeah. You know, there are plenty of wrong motives for saving money. Yeah. If we're saving money out of fear of the future, it shows we're not really trusting God to provide yeah. for us. Luke 12, 7 says, why even the hairs on your head are all numbered, fear not. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And 2 Timothy 1.7, one of my favorite verses in the yeah. Bible. Um, the <laughs> second half when of the we verse says, that, I thought that too. <laughs> I love it. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Yeah, I mean, you're so true in that. There's some people that are like, because of fear is why they're saving or their you know, self-protection in their life because mm -hmm. of something that's happened in their past. Now, granted, because of my la my past, I've restructured how my overhead is today. Um, and so we do things. We don't have an office. When we first came to Florida, we had offices and so forth, but we've eliminated our offices. We now work from our house. Most of our employees work from their home. Um, we've, completely, we've completely changed how we organize the structures and so forth because of our past. But it, it's not because we're fearful. It's, it's like we started realizing, well, why do we need that extra overhead? Why don't we use this money for better for what God's purposes are? You kind of reevaluated it. That's what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't being out of fear. So it's a sin to have fear and it's foolish and arrogant to make money our security. We don't need to make money. God is the supplier of all needs. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. Proverbs 18, 11 says they imagine it all uh, as in a wall too high high to scale, whatever that is. Yet riches will surely sprout <laughs> wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle, Proverbs 23.5. 1 Timothy 6.10 warns us against greed, saying the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I mean, it's, it's very clear that the Bible is saying that, yes, money's there. Yes, we should be saving, but don't make saving because you're fearful. Do not. If you're doing that right now, repent of that. Say, God, forgive me for that, because he does not want you to do, and then ask him to help you change from that. All right, go on. All right. To fully understand the value of saving money, we must remember what the Bible says about giving. God desires his people to be cheerful givers, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It's impossible to outgive God. Give it, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Yeah. Luke 638. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with this. You said it at the beginning of the show. It's 
when our attitude is to give, I mean, I'm talking everything. I'm talking our time, our resources, our talents, everything that we have are, we, we want to give abundantly. And, 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 and I'm, I've experienced this, you've experienced this with that kind of attitude, God overwhelms us. I, I think you said it a lot of times, God shows off. And yeah, he, he shows does. up and shows off. He does. he does, he does, he does. And it's not that we're saying God's going to, you live this way, God's going to bless you financially rich and all that. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an abundant life. We're talking about a full life. We're talking about a complete life. We're talking about a life that's filled with joy, joy. peace. It's when you have an attitude of gratitude and giving and surrender and stewardship with your money, with everything, I'm telling you, something changes in you. Something, something's different. So sometimes when God gives us things, be it money or something else, it's intended for us to give away. Other times he gives us things that are meant for us to keep for ourselves and use it in his service and for his glory. It's wise to hold, every, it's wise to hold everything God gives us loosely so that we can give it away if he asks us to. That is a powerful, powerful sentence right there. It is wise to hold everything God gives us loosely so that we can give it away when he asks us to do so. I mean, if, if God says, hey, I want you to give your car away, because I know you can afford another one, <laughs> we should hold it loosely. And I'm not joking. You should do it. And it's hard. And, we, and if someone wants, like a lot of people, well, are you going to let them drive your car? Oh, no, that's my baby. I'm not going to let them drive my car, you know, whatever. Let the person drive the car. You know, you're holding on way too tight there. God might have something better for you. He just needs you to let go of what you already have. So, if you trust him, you'll do it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So so good. Hold on loosely. All right. All right. In summary, what does the Bible say about managing money? The answer can be summarized with a single word, wisdom. We are to be wise with our money. We are to save money, but not hoard it. We are to spend money, but with discretion and control. We are to give back to the Lord joyfully and sacrificially. We are to use our money to help others, but with discernment and the guidance of God's spirit. It is not wrong to be rich. What is wrong is to love money. It's not, it's not wrong to be poor, but it's wrong to waste money on trivial things. Yep. Amen. Couldn't have said it any better. And, and again, the moral of, of today's show, we care about the Christian and the body of Christ. Yeah. And we know that this is a topic that has hurt the body of Christ greatly. And there's been a lot of churches that have asked for money wrongly. There's been a lot of people that are not understanding what it means to have a balanced life with money and how to use it properly. We just gave you a, a very, very firm foundation on how God views money. And you know, there's a lot of the Dave Ramseys and a lot of these other place, places out there, how to get rich, how to do this, how to do that, all that stuff. But what we're telling you more than anything else is you need to go to God. You need to seek him. You need to get his wisdom. And I promise you, he will have you give and he will have you live a life that brings him glory. It will always be filled with joy, peace, happiness. It will always be filled with love, gentleness, kindness. It would not be filled with greed. It would not be filled with anger. It would not be filled with bitterness. It would not be filled with, you should not be fighting with your spouse because of money. Um, it would not be any of those. If, if God is in it and he is being glorified in it, money should be a sweet thing. It should not be a bad thing. Yeah. And, there should and, be no guilt involved. Either. No. And, and too many Christians are living this life of ucky, yucky because of money. And let's just, I pray that we would, 
um, just stop now, repent of that and ask God to help you. Re-listen to the show a few times. We've given you some nuggets here um, and just allow it to sink in. But if you've never given your life to the Lord, where would we be if we didn't give you an opportunity to do so? And maybe, maybe money has been the God of your life for so long and you want to denounce that. Maybe you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And today you would like to know him. Today you would say, God, I, I choose to stop trusting in money and stop trusting in my own self. And I choose today to, to put my trust in you. And, and if that's you and, and you're saying that in your heart of hearts, all you have to do is just close your eyes and just say, God, I repent of my sins. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and that you would come into my heart as my Lord and personal Savior. Lord, I believe today that you died on the cross and rose again for my salvation, that I can live with you for all eternity if I believe in you. And I believe that with my heart. And if that's the case, the Bible now says that all the angels in heaven are rejoicing and we rejoice with you and say, welcome to the family. And then the Bible also tells us that we need to confess it now. So the Bible says, if you confess me before man, I too will confess you before my father in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I too will deny you before my father in heaven. And so you were denying God when you put your trust in money or anything else. But today you confess God and say, you know what? I trust God with my money, my finances, and I want to live it. So go tell somebody that you put your trust in Jesus. And we would love to hear you. Bob, how could they get a hold of us? Yeah, we would love to hear from you. Jump onto any of our social media sites, Facebook, Pete's favorite, Twitter, Instagram, go wherever, or YouTube. Don't forget our YouTube channel, like Pete was talking about earlier. But uh, there's one other resource I want to draw your attention to that kind of ties them all together. That is our, our website, the riotpodcast.com. You can go there. You can check out the no God thing. If you have quite the no God tab, if you have questions, um, and we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to help you in your new journey. And uh, man, Pete, what a great show. Yeah. I think people, you know, healthy like, Christians are afraid to talk about money because there's been such a, I don't know, like a, a taboo. Yeah. Yeah. Taboo. Or, you know, people have gone to church before and yeah. it always seems like, oh, they just ask, they just want my money. Yeah. You know, that's not, that's not it. There should Some never be, do. there should never be, <laughs> there should never be guilt about, about giving. Yeah. Just trust the Lord. Amen. I mean, listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you what to do. Yep. So God bless you guys. Right. Have an amazing week of worship. Don't go into debt. Be blessed. <laughs> Amen. This has been the Riot Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please feel free to leave a comment and share it with your friends. See you back here next week for another episode of The Riot Podcast.